Hey everybody, welcome back to the Frog Snacks Podcast. This is episode 22. Um, thank you for bearing with us in our week off. Uh, Frog visited the motherland. And um, yep, Indeed. our first our first week off in almost six months actually. Yeah. Yeah, so, well. Um, Those to the grindstone, that's why we do it. That's right. Uh, and um, in our absence, there has been some... Uh, a, a few big stories that we want to talk about. Um, obviously, the first is um, the the very tragic passing of of Iwata, the the former president of Nintendo and CEO. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, really sad news. Uh, we plan on making a quick trip to the Nintendo World Store in New York City. Um, they have a little they have a little uh, memorial set up for him. Um, also haven't been to the Nintendo world store in a really long time and it's a great place if you haven't been. Um, but you know, it, it, this is obviously like really sad news. Um, previous health concerns have, um, you know, like raised a few eyebrows, but I don't think anybody thought it was this serious. Um, Definitely not. yeah, so it, it's, uh, it, it came as a bit of a shock to, pretty much the entire gaming community, but, uh, the, the, the great things that people have been saying and writing on the internet about him and the, the little tributes people have been making, uh, a, a really heartwarming stuff. It's, um, it's good to see, uh, people who are, you know, traditionally very, uh, finicky and sometimes even combative come together and, and say, Hey, you know, this is like, we lost a really important person to us. Um, you know, let's, uh, let's all, you know, play by the rules here and like, pay respects to a, a, a great and, in, and influential man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's particularly interesting to me uh, that we're getting, in, in short succession, we saw sort of the, the really immature element of the community uh, last month with some of the E3 blowback. But uh, this month we, we see, you know, the group really shine. Because as you said, just seeing the massive outpouring of, you know, of support and, you know, and remembrance and that sort of thing after I want to die was, uh, definitely a sight to see. Uh, for me personally, it's funny because I typically have poked fun at some people I knew who, like, I remember when, uh, Aaliyah died back in 2001. Damn. Yeah, we're going back a ways now. Uh, she died in a plane crash, right? My cousin was flat out bawling for like a week. And I was like, really? Like, you did not know this chick. You know, it said yes, but we can throttle it back. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, I, I have to say, I'm kind of eating my words a little bit because yeah. it, it's something like this can you know, demonstrate for people like me uh, how you may not know a person, but you feel like you know a person. Definitely. Because just through simple things like hearing the interviews and in particular the Nintendo Directs, whereas, as they said, he'd get up there and talk straight to you. Yeah. And I remember, I, I forget, I think it might have been Kotaku that just raised the point that uh, what I made a point to speak in English, even though it's not his first language. Uh, but he, to, just to have that direct connection to the gigantic Western audience 
you know, he's like, I'm going to talk to you guys in your native language, direct to you. And on top of that, just the, all the ridiculous little memes and, and funny moments. And he just had such a, uh, such a positive way about him, you know? Yeah, he was he was definitely a, a unique character, and you know it, it's it's just always refreshing to see somebody who's that important um, not take himself so seriously. Exactly, um, exactly, and that's one of the things that continues to make Nintendo unique. I was also going to say that uh, I don't think we've discussed this on the podcast, but uh, another thing that made it so sad to me was that. And what I did legitimately look up to as an example of an excellent business leader. Uh, I've said oh, on a yeah. number of occasions, because you may remember that over the last couple of years, there were, you know, rumblings both with Nintendo's board and people even in the audience saying, you know, he should think about stepping down. Uh, I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. Because I always believed he's the right person to lead Nintendo because he understands Of all the people I could think of at a time, he definitely best understood both the business environment, uh, the the really unique way that Nintendo operates from, you know, like a cultural level uh, and where the game industry was going. And on top of that, what I liked about him as a business leader is that he never let the business concerns completely overshadow the human side. So, for example... Uh, when Nintendo did, you know, make some mistakes, like when the Wii U was first starting to flounder, when the 3DS was floundering, uh, he took, he and the executive team took a half pay cut. Nobody does that in America and probably in Japan for that matter. Yeah, nobody. Nobody does that. I've heard it's more, it's, it's, uh, it, it was less of a ridiculous notion in Japan, but it's still probably not done as often as people say they are going to do it over there. Oh, absolutely not. And and over here, for I forget, forget it. Over here, I when I when I read that, I was like, is that is that true? I don't believe this. And then I and then I read into it, and he actually did do it. And then I read that it was a little bit more of a of like a thing in in Japan. But like over here, that's that's unheard of. Unheard it's unheard of. of. But it's very unfortunate because uh, if there's anything that I've learned both from books and experience as far as dealing with the business world is that if you're going to be a leader of something, you have to take, that means you take responsibility for the success and you take responsibility for the failure. Uh, Not to get too far off topic, but one of the things that kills me with American businesses so much is that American business tends not to take responsibility for the failure part. Glad to take, glad to take, uh, you know, credit for all the successes, but when, you know, the proverbial shit hits the fan, you know, so suddenly all the blame starts getting deflected in many different directions. But Awada was like, nope, buck stops with me. I have to take this L. Yeah, uh, and I, I, would, I would even broaden that statement to say uh, Western corporations in general. Um, they, they actually did like a really great um, uh, thing of uh, an, an episode of South Park where they poked fun at BP. BP is a British company. Right. And uh, when they had the BP oil spill in the Gulf uh, a couple of years back, and the uh, the CEO of, of BP was just sort of like made this really, really like 
inauthentic apology on TV and like they they did such a funny job making fun of making fun of him because he it was just so ingenuine and uh yeah so it's like a definitely a western thing but um yeah yeah because it's, it's ego yeah but um the other thing real quick is yeah. that um when again when Nintendo's profits had taken a little bit of a dive in the last couple of years uh Again, the Western company, you would have seen some big round of layoffs, mm-hmm. you know, peace out. Uh, a while I was like, nope. I He literally said in an interview that uh, I'm not going to be laying people off because how are we supposed to make the best games in the world if people can't come here and be confident that they may have a job the next day? Yeah. Which is, again, sounds like such a simple common sense. Yeah humanistic thing to say but nobody does that in the west yeah it's um yeah it, it, it he, he really was something else and uh nintendo is just an, an anomaly in in so many aspects but from a business standpoint and you know from the you know just the sheer humanity of the people who are up there in the company reggie iwata uh miyamoto did you just don't see that in anywhere else east east or west it's just um so it was it was sad to see one of them uh, leaving us before, you know, before their time. Um, and at such a young age. And too. at such a young age, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we could we could spend the we could spend the whole episode talking about how sad this is, but um, I think it I think we uh, we want to we want to spend a little bit of time talking about where. Uh, who who we think could possibly fill these gigantic shoes, right? Indeed. Um, now, from from talks on the internet and articles written, uh, it seems that the two most obvious choices to replace Iwata as president and CEO of Nintendo um, are um, Shigeru Miyamoto, who mm-hmm. is probably the, the most well-known person uh, that's around, that's up there at Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also a man uh, named Takeda. Now, right. Daniel Takeda. Yeah. Now, a lot of people are just hearing about Takeda for the first time. Miyamoto is famous. He's the guy that invented Mario, for Christ's sake. You know, he's, right. he's super well-known. He's been with the company for a very long time. Uh, this... This Takeda, though, is um, is is just sort of coming into the spotlight now uh, because of you know the the recent passing of, of Iwata. Now, uh, Takeda has been with the company for longer than Miyamoto has. Correct. Um, he's been around for a long time. Yeah, he's been around for a really long time. As a matter of fact, he's credited with helping develop uh, Nintendo's first arcade game. Right. So. Um, which was like they they did a they did a, a, a little showcase on it in the article that I that I read about it. It was like a big like six person arcade machine back in the maybe the late seventies. That it was just like uh, people would uh, each each player would pick a horse and then it, they would have a um, like a, a digital horse race right. and that's how you played. Um, it was just a betting machine, pretty much. Like a six-person digital betting machine, um, of which Sega went on to make a bunch of. Yeah, so you know this guy's this guy's been around for a very long time. At this time, Miyamoto was still in college, so 
this guy definitely has a, a, a bit of seniority over over Miyamoto. Now, the reason why we haven't heard about him that much is because he's definitely more of a behind-the-scenes type of guy. Yep. Um, now, as far as... Uh, I, I've heard I've heard a little bit on both sides of of the argument of like who could possibly take over as uh, president and CEO. Uh, the the argument for Takeda is that you know is the seniority thing is that he's more of a behind the scenes type of guy, uh, just just like Iwata was back in two thousand one two thousand two when he was when he was making the leap from you know his his previous job to president and CEO. Um, and then the the case for Miyamoto is the just the opposite, you know. The recognizability, the the personality, which Awada also had, and uh, again, it just shows you how rare the type of person Awada was, where he could he could run a business as large as Nintendo, um, but also be so important in his role because of how big his personality was. Right now, you have two people who maybe if you were to force them to have a child, it might be half as good as Awada. So you know you have like you have you have the best of both sides of the the late Satoru Awada that are trying to you know where we can only pick one to replace him. So um, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, I did not even think about it that way, but you are completely correct. Well, I I you know I, I read. Um, they did uh they did the this month's showcase on Polygon I think was on EA right and it was it, it's it's good which is another thing we can talk about by the way but go on and you know EA is interesting because it was started by two guys in college in the in the 80s right and um that was exactly the dilemma and I and I and I nobody nobody had made the parallel between what EA went through in its early days and what Nintendo is going through right now which right. is you know, they had this guy who had this like big grandiose vision for EA and made a lot of really smart long-term business decisions, but at the end of the day, really wasn't a businessman, was more of a programmer. And he uh, he basically teamed up with a with a frat boy who right. you know, so you know, they went to the college together and one was one was a party animal who was more into the business side, and then there was this guy who was a you know, a, a little bit more of a, you know, Creative genius. Creative genius. So you know, and it's and it's just this is this is one. Not only is this more often than not the way that big companies sort of get their feet off the ground is that you can get, um, you know, you get two, you get two or three or more people who, when combined, form a, a great you know board of of executives, right? And right. Uh, you are seeing this now with. But the, the problem with that is that that's, you know, eventually you start to see fissures. Now, what the, the great thing about Iwata was that he had all of these qualities. He was a creative genius. He was also, a, a, you know, a super intelligent businessman. Um, he was a expert at, he was an expert at marketing and he surrounded himself with brilliant people. Right. So, you know, now you, you have, uh, you have Miyamoto, you have Takeda and um, you know, even though he's not in the in the running, you have the you have Reggie Fiamme, who's also you know this big personality, you know, brilliant marketer type, you know, brand representative, and you know, all, all of these three people are up there at Nintendo and are super important, and you know, it's probably going to be Takeda or Miyamoto who uh, fills in for Iwata, but you have this you have this team 
you know, you have this team right now and, but you know, they all possess different, different qualities. Right. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, realistically, given just given what we've seen, uh, given what we know of, you know, senior people at Nintendo, it probably, as you said, it will likely end up being Takeda that takes it up long term. Yeah. Uh, I personally, as as great as Miyamoto is, I would not like to see him take the top job uh, because I believe that his strength, generally speaking, is his strength in in creative work is so good that to not have him near that world. I mean, he's been a manager for a long time. Yeah. But even now, he's starting to get back a little bit more hands-on creative side, you know, working on Pikmin 3 and more recently, Star Fox. Yeah. Uh, but because his creative mind is so amazing, to not have him near that world, I think, would be too great a loss for both Nintendo and the gaming industry at large. Right. So, and I've heard personally, that I would... The other thing is that I am not so sure that him taking over from the business side, you know, I'm not sure if his business acumen is necessarily uh, the strongest, especially given that Nintendo is facing a lot of, you know, big, big challenges right now. Yeah. So you really do need somebody who can kind of bring it home. For that matter, we don't know if Takeda is going to be good at that too, but I would feel a little better with him versus Miyamoto, who we know his greatest strength is in the creative world and making the hit games that Nintendo ultimately will carry on, you know, making and being known for. Um, one thing I'll say real quick about Reggie is that, I mean, it, it's very, very unlikely that he would get the top job, mm-hmm. but... I think that would be a very interesting shakeup because, again, another thing that we get just out of rumblings from, you know, what bits and pieces people can pick up of what goes on at Nintendo is that uh, Nintendo of Japan does, of course, hold all the cards and in some ways prevents Nintendo of America from being able to go after it you know, go after the prize in some of the ways that would probably be logical to them and to most Western, you know, the Western audience. So it'd be very interesting if they install somebody like Reggie at the top because Reggie would solve the issue of, you know, having an experienced person that understands the Western market, but at the same time is thoroughly integrated into Nintendo's unique culture. Because I was remember, I remember reading a couple, you know, business articles like Wall Street Journal, or whatever, saying, "Well, you know, Nintendo always does have the option of bringing an outsider," which they do, but I think that'd be a hot disaster, yeah. and I don't think they'd ever do that. Yeah, I, uh, I love Reggie, obviously, but um, I, I don't know, I don't know if they'll if if they'll make that, uh, if they'll make that type of shakeup right now. I doubt it. Yeah. It, it it would be in an ideal world he would he would take the job in my opinion because I think that he would be able to you know shepherd the things that Awada started and you know put enough of his own spin on things that would carry Nintendo to the future like to me I'm very sure 
none of them are ever going to say this, obviously, because Nintendo, the code of silence and all that. Yeah. But I'm super sure that, like, when the Wii U, like, when that name was being thought of, I'm sure everybody in Nintendo of America was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, probably for the Wii also. I mean, like, there was... They tried to make it this thing where, like, it made sense in English also, but it was just, like... I mean, even with... Even with um, the new 3DS, right? Like the new 3DS or like Super Smash Brothers for Wii U. Like wh- I don't know. Like the naming trend has been really strange for the past like five years. Which is a Japanese thing in general, but yeah. yeah. But uh, <laughs> but Nintendo's definitely had a few doozies. <laughs> Though to be honest, the worst have been Square Enix because they Square Enix will just they just throw something out there. <laughs> yeah, but that's a side note. Side note. Yeah, that was just an example. That's just me saying the Wii U in particular. I mean, Wii is a strange name, but at least, at least I could kind of get behind that. At least, as you said, makes sense in any language. Okay, fine. Yeah, people will have their laughs. That's what they said too. People are going to have their laughs for the first week, and they did, and then they got over it. Yep. Uh, but Wii U never stopped being a terrible name. Oh, no, it never because stopped it was being a, a terrible name. But yeah, it was a blatant yeah. attempt to cash in on how you know, successful the brand recognition of the Wii, but it blew yeah. up in their face in spectacular fashion. So that, that's just me speculating. I bet that that decision would not have been made if Nintendo of America was holding the cards. Oh, no, uh, definitely, but who knows? definitely Maybe not. Maybe it would have. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think it. I don't think it would have. I don't even. I still don't know what the Wii U means. It was. I think it was supposed to be like. Uh, whereas the Wii was super, super family oriented. Yeah. The Wii was kind of supposed to have a more personal touch because you had the gamepad. So, and things like off TV play, you could focus just on a one person experience, or one or two person experience. Yeah. But either way, it, it was very half big. That. We could talk about the Wii U blunders all day. But. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, you know what? Takeda, Takeda probably makes the most sense if we're just going with Takeda versus Miyamoto. But at the same time, like, here's here are my two concerns, right? Um, in 2016, we are probably going to start seeing a little bit more information flow in for the NX, right? Mm-hmm. Now... I want it, it. It has to be somebody who was working super closely with Iwata this whole time, basically for right. the past ten years, right? Right. Because I'm sure he had like, you know, he, he's he's such a good businessman that all of his that all of his ideas were you know built for long term theoretical success, right? So I would imagine that he had a lot of big ideas. Um, you know, for, for how he is, was to, uh, market and introduce the NX, right. And what exactly it's supposed to be. Cause I doubt Iwata was, you know, he knew he was sick, but I doubt he was like, listen, I, I need to, um, I'm probably not going to be here next year. You know? Yeah. I don't think this is Steve Jobs scenario. Yeah. So, so, you know, we need one of these people or both. At least had a at least probably had like a pretty good idea of of what he wanted to do, but only one of them I think could implement it the way that Iwata wanted. And since we're just hearing about this Takeda character for like the first time, a lot of us are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I think that the um, the like brilliant uh, you know marketing personality type aspect is definitely goes under the you know like the pro category for Miyamoto. Right. Um, he's got the record. He's he's recognizable. Um, you know, and and also I don't think that uh, the promotion for Miyamoto from I think what is he like? Uh, he's like creative director. Well, he's like the general manager of their their biggest um, their biggest development group, which I believe is uh, Nintendo EAD. Right. So, I I don't know I don't know how removed he would be from development and like like creative development if he were to make this jump. Oh, if he's CEO, he can forget it. Absolutely forget it. Really? Absolutely. Running a business the size of Nintendo, absolutely forget it. Because remember, at the end of the day, a CEO's job is to be the strategic head of a company. Right. They have to spend their whole day determining, okay, well, how are we going to keep this puppy going to the future? Their job is not to sit and actually make things. Yeah. Their job is to make sure that everybody else makes the right things. Now, do you think it would be uh, unwise if uh, Takeda were given the job, mm-hmm. but Miyamoto sort of replaced Iwata as like the face of the company, and did you know did you know took over on Nintendo Directs or you know was was just slightly more uh, you know public? I don't think that's too crazy because. Uh I mean, Miyamoto has been in a lot of Nintendo Directs anyway. Oh, yeah, definitely. So that wouldn't, frankly, that's probably going to happen either way. Uh, You're probably going to see what we saw, like, for the last portion that's happened thus far this year, where much of Nintendo Direct has been handled by Nintendo of America people. Uh, There'll probably be a greater Miyamoto presence. But then again, they made a shift most of it entirely to... NOA people, because then you also have to consider that Miyamoto is also getting up there in age, so he probably wants to at least leave the back door for him to retire at some point in, you know, the not-too-distant future. Yeah. Because Miyamoto is in his 60s. Is he really? Mm-hmm. My God. He looks great, right? Yeah, man. They age so well over there. If Yeah, if only we could look that good when we're 60. I think he's 60, what? I want to say he's 62, but... Jesus. I had no um, idea. I had no idea he was that old. That means Takeda is, like, almost 70. I'm going to look that up, but that would be a good bet, too. Yeah, I mean, if if Takeda's got more seniority than Miyamoto, Miyamoto's 62, then Takeda's got to be almost 70. Probably. I mean, pretty much anybody who right now... That's the other thing I'm kind of like, uh... Because pretty much anybody who could take the job, right, who is qualified by Nintendo standards to take... Iwata's job is way older than him. My God. So it, it's actually quite amazing that uh, Iwata even got the job because if you think about it, he got the job when he was, according to the thing I read, I think he was 44? Yeah, he was, he was, let's see, well, he got it in 2001. He was 50, 55 this year. So in 2000, he was 40. So he was 42 when he got the job. 41 or 42 when he got the job. Super young. I mean, pretty was, young for anybody to have a CEO ship of a company that size and that legacy. Oh, for for any global company, east or west, wherever it's based, forty two is very young for a CEO. Definitely. 
Yeah, and even more so for a company who is uh, who banks as much on the legacy of big people as Nintendo does. So yeah. at the same time, I'm kind of like the reason I'm kind of like yeah, it's like yeah, all these people are wonderful, but at the same time, it it was I think it definitely was the Nintendo's benefit to have you know kind of a younger mind uh, at the helm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's definitely like, uh, you know, it's, it's sad that we, you know, have to speculate about this stuff now. Um, but the, the good news is that there are a lot of brilliant people up there at Nintendo and, um, there's some exciting things coming up on the horizon and, you know, it's, it's going to be sad seeing the first Nintendo direct without, without Iwata and, Oh, the first everything without a while, well, but the first thing knowing that he because he's been out of the Nintendo Direct scene for a little bit, but now first one knowing that he's dead is going to be God. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there. It, no matter who they pick, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. That's that's definitely something to follow. We will be following it closely. The entire gaming community is following it closely. So, um, but yeah. Uh, in the so in the past um around the same time there was also uh there was there was another um untimely death in the gaming world indeed and that was the death of Kojima Productions or at very or at the very least the apparent death the apparent death the apparent death that is has been going on for long if if Iwata's death was a surprise this one was spoiled before the movie came out like right. Uh, we we had an episode about Kojima period, and after all of the the weird like semi quasi pseudo falling out that happened between him and and uh, and Konami, um, you know we 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 spent an episode speculating where where he could end up uh, as an individual, where Kojima Productions could end up as a as a development group, um, but. Now, uh, I guess the news sort of broke that the cover art for Metal Gear Solid Five is not going to have the Kojima Productions logo on the on the game case, um, and it it just sort of looks like Kojima Productions is done. Uh, Kojima is done with Konami after this game comes out, um, and Konami is just just going to be floating in the ether somewhere, and uh, Kojima is. Pretty much a, a made man, right? Yeah, uh, it's you know, it, it's so the whole situation is so strange to me because, sure, I get the business decision for Konami saying, "Okay, we don't want to go in this direction of making these gigantic games anymore." There's plenty of good reason to say that. Yeah, but just the way that this was handled. I'm sure there's a lot more to this story that has not come out yet and will probably come out in several years, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll there'll be some there'll be some tell all or something. But it's so strange to me how, you know, they're they're going in a very unpopular direction, right? They're going in a smart direction where, you know, if you have if you're if you're in financial straits and you need to get rid of some assets, you know, you like you get rid of some assets. If a if a if a pro sports team is you know in, entering a rebuilding stage 
they get rid of their most expensive athletes, right? right. Whether or not they're fan favorites, right? The thing with uh, the thing with gamers is you know is that like uh, Kojima was arguably Konami's only popular asset, right? In terms of personnel, so it's hard. It's 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 always it's always difficult to see. Uh, a company that's done things that you love and that has published things that you love go through this type of, you know, um, rearrangement and have, and go through financial trouble and all this other stuff. But, um, they're going but into for Konami real quick. Sorry. Yeah. It's less about the trouble aspect and more about, well, this is not making as much money as we can probably make off of this area, this area being mobile gaming. Right. So we're going to divest ourselves of that. That's why I'm saying it's so weird. It is because yeah, yeah since it's not ahead. like an emergency for them to get rid of, you know, the console gaming segment. I feel like it could have they could have saved themselves so much face by just phasing it out in a you know in a uh, less ridiculous fashion. Which is why I think there's more to this story. There must have been some massive war zone somewhere in Konami for these things to have gone down the way they did. Right, because you you don't have to pick one or the other. Right, you don't have to stop making console games in order to go to mobile. I mean, again, the reason I get why the reason I say I can understand the business justification is because console games are very expensive and do not necessarily have the same return on investment that you'll get out of mobile game. I wouldn't use the word smart to go mobile because you know a very very small number of. Um, mobile games make it to that crazy hit threshold. If yeah. you do, you usually make a money printer. Yeah. But a very small number of games get to that area. So I don't know if it's necessarily smart, but it's certainly, if, if you're looking straight at numbers and saying, well, we have to spend $50 million to make this game and we might make like 60, 70, just throwing out numbers. Yeah. But mm-hmm. we can spend $100,000 or $2 million or whatever on this mobile game and it may make us, if it really takes off, it may make us a million bucks a week. Why would we not do that? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it definitely seems strange. Uh, the only, the only, um, analogy I can come up with is, uh, is, you know, some, some sports franchise halfway through the season, realizing they're not going to make it to the playoffs and, getting like, like literally just giving away all of their, all of their most expensive players. Like, you know, you're on this team, uh, you're not getting us to the playoffs. Um, and we're paying you this ridiculous amounts of money. So, uh, bye, we'll, we'll try again the next, over the next five years. Um, hopefully we'll, you know, strike it rich with like some hot shot slugger or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's, yeah, that's basically what's happening. Yeah, it, it it happens all the time in sports, and nobody bats an eyelash. But it's like now it's it, it's it's strange when it's um, it's strange when a game company does seemingly the same exact thing uh, because it, like you said, it doesn't seem like it absolutely has to. Right. It, it just, it's just very very strange. Yeah. So as far as um, as far as uh, Hideo Kojima. Um, you know, we, we had, we definitely did some speculation about where he could end up, where he, where he would go, uh, you know, what type of types of things he could work on. Uh, the guy who does the, uh, voice 
for uh, Solid Snake for the Japanese releases of Metal Gear Solid. Um, sort of hinted that this would be the last Metal Gear Solid game that Hideo would work on. Which, it, I mean, most people kind of figured that. Right. From the first time, there was this, you know, fallout. So you you basically have now this, you know, this this giant free agent. He's got, it seems like he has no company and he has no team, right? Right. And he is still churning out some, like, pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, I was going to say that... Um as far as if, if they did disband the team, then um, what they could, I mean, really, if you're Kojima, I would just be like, send an email to everybody's personal account and be like, okay, so we disbanded the team, so come to this place Monday, we're going to have a new, it's going to be the same team under a new name. Yeah. Which I, I personally don't see any reason why they're not going to do that, especially mm-hmm. if you like all the people that he was dealing with. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as Kojima's concerned, this uh, this is really not aside from the fact that you had this na- nasty nasty falling out. This is really nothing but a positive thing. Yeah, and that's what, that's sort of what we speculated. Uh, I think it was episode six where we talked about uh, the all future. The he could go. Yeah, all the places he could go, the future of Kojima, and also the new Kendrick Lamar album. Um, yes. Yeah. So you know, uh, Ko- Kojima really is is coming out the winner here, it seems like, you know, he's, he's sort of free of any, uh, any, you know, business obligations, you know, he's just like, as far as, as far as everybody hopes, you know, he's just going to say, Hey, I'm I want to continue to make games. Um, who wants to publish my next game? And there's just going to be a whole room of people like with their hands raised, like, like you just asked like a bunch of five-year-olds a question that they all know the answer to. And they're just like, <laughs> are putting their hands as far into the air as they could. Like, that's just how I picture it going on for the next, you know, until the next project is, like, announced or, like, starting to undergo production. Is that Kojima's just going to, like, shop around for the person that's going to, like, you know, help, like, give him the most creative freedom, I would imagine. Yeah, you have to be a little bit more forceful with the analogy than that, though. Because this is more like, okay, guys, I have the last coupon for a free trip to Coldstone here. Who wants it? (laughs) And all the five-year-old hands go way up in the air, and the people in the back are like stepping on their their friends in front of them yeah. to try and make themselves more visible. And a couple of people try to rush the teacher. <sighs> That's what's going to happen when Kojima, if he hasn't already, put his name out there as a "I'm shopping for a a publishing partner." Right, and and I I think ultimately it's going to come down to. Um, who is going to uh, give him the most creative freedom, and then also, I, th- I think, I think that, um, I think that uh, exclusivity is going to be a little bit of a of like a, a no no for him. I I still don't think that he'll agree to do something on unless it's like a smaller production. Uh, I don't think that he'll agree to do something that's like say a a, a PlayStation Four exclusive. Which is interesting, but I mean, what I think is going to come down to at the end of the day is really money. Yeah. You know, show me the money. So if, if Sony comes to him and says, you know, we have this big fat check and you do whatever the hell you want, 
you know, just of course, it's only going to be for PlayStation. And since Sony is very forward thinking in this respect, uh, yeah. it's going to be PlayStation and PC, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not see a scenario, a reasonable reason why he would say, nah, unless somebody else offered, unless it, again, somebody like an Activision came along and said, we'll give you double the money and you can put it everywhere. Right. And that's, that's my best case scenario, just because I still, I still maintain the fact that Hideo Kojima is too eccentric for him to want, for him to release something that not everybody is going to be able to experience. He just comes off as like a little bit of a rock star to me. For a good reason. Having played most of his games and like, you know, having seen the stuff that he does and just like, I don't know. I, I just I feel like he wouldn't limit his audience intentionally, even if the money was really was really good. I think that if if um, if like an Activision or an EA were to were to say like, uh, um, hey Kojima, like what what did Sony tell you that they were going to give you that give you for for your next project? We'll we'll give you the same amount, but we'll release it everywhere. Um, I I just imagine him going that route as long as the money you know uh, you know hold, holds up. Yeah. So don't forget, though, that the Metal Gear series, until the 360 came around, was a PlayStation 100% only, you know, PlayStation uh, exclusive. Yeah. So I I don't know if I would say he's uh, against exclusive. And and don't forget also that not only were they exclusive, but he designed the games around the PlayStation. Yeah, but we're talking about... I mean, that was then, this is now, sure. But. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, um, we're talking about, like, limits and limitations of systems, right? Like, he he just he just has such a grandiose vision that is no longer hindered by uh, hardware, really. So, you know, he can he can do whatever he wants on, on any system. They all do the same thing now. So, you know, he can, he can, he can do whatever he wants and have it work on any major console or PC, um, I think. Here's one thing we I don't think we mentioned in our last discussion of this, which is that what if he decides to... This would really be like... I mean, how to say it. What if he decided to go the Kickstarter route? Um, I don't think he would need to. He doesn't need to. That's what I was about to say. I was going to say that for him to decide to do that would really be, you know, turning his nose up at money because there's no realistic reason why he would need to go that route. He's got plenty of people who will be throwing money at him. Yeah. Though I will say he may decide to, again, because he's a free agent, he doesn't have to do just one thing. So he can take their money Mm -hmm. and on the side say, I have this really kooky thing. (laughs) Yeah. What if you guys fund this? Let's see if we can make it happen. That's true. He could do it. I I, I just think that um, a lot of the times, like when uh, like when the uh, the Castlevania guy uh, Inafune did did the Kickstarter thing, it was it was just to show uh, that people were actually interested. I think that right. it, I think that if, if Kojima just went out there and was like. Hey, I'm uh, Hideo Kojima, and I have a new project, and I want you to publish it. They won't need any further proof, right? They'll just it's be like, like, "How did I get so lucky?" Yeah, they're they're gonna be like, uh, <laughs> "Like Senpai chose me," or whatever, <laughs> or whatever, or whatever those kids say on the internet. 
<laughs> exactly right. Yeah, it's, um, it's just, I just imagine that being the the scenario, like going forward, especially if uh, if the Phantom Pain is is as successful as everybody assumes it's going to be. It problem. There's there's no doubt in my mind because right. everybody. Metal Gear Solid Four. One of the biggest reasons it was successful is because you did have that subset of people who were like, "Oh, is this going to be the last Metal Gear game?" It yeah. was the last Metal Gear game in quotation marks in that it was the end point of the the series chronology, which yeah. even that is technically not true because then Metal Gear Rising came out. Yeah, but uh, that's the, that very fact alone in two thousand eight was one of the things that propelled the hype. But now you can forget it because now you have a very legitimate reason. This is not just Kojima being like, oh, this is the last Metal Gear game. Yeah. Now you have a very legitimate reason to believe that this will be, if not the last game with the words Metal Gear Solid on it, the last one that will have the series' distinctive flavor as brought by its original creator. True. Yeah. So because of that, I'm expecting this game to be a, a monster. Yeah, on I, top of the fact that all the preview, uh, any preview that has come out for this game has been nothing short of blowing. Yeah, um, September first. September first for PlayStation and Xbox, and then fifteenth uh, for all the, the the PC Master Race people. Yeah, I'm not gonna wait. I, I have I have a I have a great PC. I'm not waiting. Oh, that's right. You also have the Xbox. Well, yeah. I'll be waiting. That's fine. My plan, personally, is to... I haven't played Ground Zeroes, so I'm probably going to get that around September 1st and uh, play that as the uh, the tie-over until the 15th. Ground Zeroes was really cool. I I, I liked it. It's it's like a... I mean, you know, it's it's just sort of like a, pre, like a preview, but like a lengthy preview. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly... I still don't know exactly what the rationale behind doing that was but it was still like really cool and if metal gear solid 5 is anything like that then you know i'm i'm happy with it already well the rationale was basically hey we know this game is not coming out for at least another year so let's give the fans a taste even though i was kind of like did you really guys have 20 bucks let's let's stop yeah i mean i got it when it went on sale for uh gold gold members so i did that but um yeah, I don't know. It was it was great. I I played I played the shit out of it. Yeah, I'm expecting to do the same. And I purposely did not play it because I said all this is going to do is make me more upset that the the real game is not out yet. So so I'm just gonna play that when you know, when the first comes around, everybody's gonna be talking about how amazing the game is and I can't play it until the fifteenth because it doesn't go out on PC. Uh, I'll just play Ground Zeroes for PC and, you know, get my taste that way. Yeah, that's probably smart. But I'm going to play it right away. But anyway, yeah, um, the whole whole speculation that we put forth a couple of months ago about uh, Kojima and where he could end up and, you know, what the future of his career is is all happening. And it's all happening pretty quickly. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if, like, you know, we, we had a much clearer idea of where he's going to end up and what he's going to be working on next um, in like the first quarter of 2016 based on all of the things that are lined up to happen for the rest of the year. And the fact that, you know, he's 
basically cutting all ties with his with his former uh, employer. So um, that's another thing that you should definitely you know pay attention to, and we will definitely be paying attention to it over here at Frog Snacks. I agree. Uh, this whole discussion also leads quickly back into. You mentioned the EA. I'm glad you brought up the whole uh, EA showcase that Polygon did, which was an excellent write-up. Oh, excellent. It was great. And it actually ties to both of the things we've been discussing. Uh, because one of the things that I thought was so striking about the history of EA as told by you know, these various folks that were there in the early days is that how far ahead they were thinking. It, it was really, really uncanny. Because yeah, yeah. everything that, you know, in particular what Trip Hawkins was looking to do is kind of where we're at now with the whole idea of game creators being these rock stars. I mean, I wouldn't use the word rock stars, but people are much more aware of the names of the people who are leading these projects than they ever were in the 80s. Yeah, and they made the comparison with, with film, and it's like now, um, you know, a movie a movie's come out and, you know the first thing that you hear about it is like, Oh, this movie's coming out and, uh, who's the director, you know, like who's, yeah. Like who's, who's working on it. Not, not even, and we're getting to the point now where, where, uh, it's almost like, uh, producers and directors and writers for movies are almost as well known as the actors that are in it. You know, like if, you know, it used to just be like a handful of directors that everybody was aware of, but now it's like, oh, you know, this person who worked on that is working on it, and this person who's working on that is in it, and then it's like, that's just as important as who's starring in it. Right. And it's the same thing with, with games. Rapidly. This, ga- this game rapidly is coming out. Improving. Yeah, this this game is coming out. Who's who's the creative director? Oh, that, that guy? The same guy that worked on this game? No way. I'm all of a sudden really interested. I don't even know what the game is about. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, bro. The oldest names you got are people, like we said before, Miyamoto. Mm-hmm. Miyamoto is probably the first big rock star, uh, you know, to get that kind of notoriety. You have people like Will Wright, creator of The Sim City, and then The Sims. He also became a bit of a rock star. Uh, yeah. Kojima. Kojima's, Ko- I think Kojima is probably one of the first of the modern crowd. Yep. Because... You know, his vision is just so singular and so, okay, we're in a Kojima game right now. Yeah. Like, you know immediately. Uh Uh-huh. So, uh, it's very interesting to me to see how EA, people behind EA, had those kind of ideas back in the 80s. Yeah. Like, it absolutely blew my mind to think that people were thinking of that in the 80s. Now, think about this. No internet. You know, no advanced crazy 3D consoles where people are realizing wild visions, right? Mm-hmm. We don't. They only have cell phones. Yeah, if people developers developers were selling their games via mail order in Ziploc bags. Yeah, Ziploc bags, and they were moving even to do retail. This is back before games were even under an understood thing that was desired at retail. So yeah. they were having to sell the product. To, when they say sell, like, not just, oh, well, here, this thing's for sale. No, like, going there and having to make a case to retailers yeah, as pitch. to why they should carry this product. You had to pitch your game to electronics retailers. Yeah. There was not even, there's not even, there's barely an enthusiast press to speak of. 
Yeah, there was any kind of press coverage for a game was crazy. Yep. So the fact that you had people thinking about this back then is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, and people, you know, definitely just like shooed them off and you know thought that they were crazy or you know too young to understand or whatever. And another thing that struck me about that about that article, I'll link it in the show notes. So if you guys haven't read it, you can because it, it actually is a really interesting piece, especially with um, you know a lot of the negative. Uh, negative response EA gets to most almost everything it does. Uh, it's good to it's good to see like how a company like this got its got its start, where things started to change, and how you know a little bit of the rationale behind some of the decisions that they've made from a business perspective. Because that's part of the that's part of the reason why we do this podcast is to put things into perspective. A lot of people don't pay attention to the business side of games as much as Frog and I do. So it, this was a really great showcase for that reason also. So I'll, I'll definitely link it. Um, and you know, we'll try not to give too much of it away, but it's a, it's a lengthy read, but it's really well written and it's, and it's frankly, it's fascinating. Well, there's no worse spoilers. I mean, spoiler, EA becomes one of the biggest bingo king companies in the world. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, the long story short for it really is that you had, uh, Trip Hawkins in particular, who was kind of the creative genius and as you said, he linked up with that dude, Bing Gordon, yep. who was kind of the, the party animal guy who could yep. get the money and stuff going. By the way, and nobody names their kids thing. Trip or Bing anymore. <laughs> right? Wow. Um, and, and you had them collaborate to, to start this company, which after a lot of fits and starts, got to start going somewhere. But as it started to go somewhere, then it became apparent that the, the wild creative vision that trip had of you know game designers as these rock stars and whatever was much much less important than simply or not, i shouldn't use the word important which much less uh pertinent to their bottom line than simply the nuts and bolts of a game and making money so yeah. ultimately ea evolved in that direction where it became about creating this enterprise that was designed to be as efficient a profit generator as possible, which at the end of the day, that's what a business is supposed to be. Yeah, and, and they became very, very good at doing that. But unfortunately, along the way, in the process of doing that, uh, they did kind of ultimately they, uh, they upset a few everything people. on the creative side. Yeah. Um, that being said, my vitriol for EA is much lower than the average gamer. Um, and mine too. And it was it was really great to read about the origins of uh, a company that, whether you like it or not, is a- incredibly important and influential to the industry that we love so much. So, agree. So it was. Uh, so I'd also argue, yeah, that uh, they're starting to swing a little bit back in the other direction where they're trying now. Because that Polygon had another story. I don't know if you saw where they were talking about kind of the emergency reactions that were being had among the executive team when they got the worst company America award the second year in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Which God, that must be so sad. You're like, you're like, guys, we're trying here. We're trying our hardest to be a good company and we're the worst company. You guys are the shit of the earth. Oh my God. I feel so bad. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting to see how things are going around from there from their, uh, you know, they're, they're not this faceless conglomerate. Like there are real people that head this company and chair this company and make these decisions. And it's important. I think it's important to know 
where they're coming from. Definitely. So, um, one more note is yep. that I'll quickly make is that you note in you'll see when folks that read this article will note that uh, as they talk about when EA starts to get toward the modern era, when it starts to become like a really big deal, they're bringing in a lot more people who have no experience with games and barely any experience with electronics for that matter. Yeah. Uh, and it reminded me greatly again of the Nintendo discussion we had, because I think one of the things that Nintendo as an organization does very, very well to remember is that they always want people in there that understand not only gaming culture, but Nintendo's products in particular. I don't think they would ever put somebody at this stage anyway, Yamauchi, the, the CEO who basically built what is modern Nintendo, he did not touch video games, really. Yeah. But after him, at this stage, especially after the age of Iwata, I don't think they would ever install a CEO who did not, him or herself, understand at a basic level what video games are and enjoy them to some extent himself. Because... Yeah. It goes back to a core thing that any business student will learn, and I think anybody who actually works in business realizes, which is that you it begins and ends with the product or service you're offering, right? Yeah. You know, you have to. Everybody from the top down has to actually believe in that, and if you don't, then you start losing your way. You may make money, but you lose your way. Yeah, and uh, that's that's where you lose. Um you know, that's where you lose your, your customer base a little bit. Um, especially in, in gaming where people are, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit more than a hobby to a lot of us. So it's, it's, um, okay. it's, it's hard to, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to, um, um, see eye to eye with a company that is, is only running it from the business side because it's, it's, it's really that important to a lot of us. So, um, so that's all the time we have for this week. Um, really important though, this weekend is Evo 2015, huge, uh, huge fighting game tournament in Los the Angeles, in uh, Las Vegas, the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl of fighting games in Las Vegas. Um, you know, we're, we're definitely going to talk about it um, next week and probably the week after. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely an, uh, an exciting and interesting time for esports in general, and uh, we we want to focus on it a little bit. So, uh, you know, we'll um, we'll talk about it next week. Um, all you need to know now is that uh, you can watch it so much more easily than you have been able to in previous years. Um, you can watch it live with you know very few issues uh, on Twitch. Um, so. You know, see, see if you can see if you can watch the matches. It'll be going on from the seventeenth to the nineteenth, so uh, which is Friday through Sunday. So, um, you know, take a look. Uh, you know, st- stream it up on on Twitch and watch a few matches, and uh, and we'll we'll definitely be back to talk about it next week. Okay. All right. Peace out, everybody. Take care.